Welcome to our podcast series, Power of Storage, where we will take 10 minutes to explain the value of Dell EMC storage arrays for our customers. Today, I have with me Tom O'Neill from the Dell Technologies high-end storage product management team, and we are going to be speaking about VMware virtual volumes, otherwise known as VVOLs. Tom, welcome to the Power of Storage podcast. Let's start by explaining what VVOLs actually are. Ian, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, to answer your question, uh, VVOLs are a new type of object that VMware introduced in vSphere 6.x that is really meant to provide a more efficient operational model for both SAN and NAS storage arrays running VMware's old legacy VMFS and NFS. For example, both VMFS and NFS work at the LUN level, while VMware VVOLs work at a more granular level, the application level. So it provides a lot of efficiency when you're using array features such as snapshotting because with VMFS and NFS, the features work at a LUN level. So in other words, if you're gonna take a snapshot of a particular VM, you're gonna wind up having to take snapshots of all the VMs that are on that same LUN, you know, which is not really very efficient. So with VVOLs, you can take a snapshot of an individual VM or even the VVOL, which is a piece of a VM. And another big advantage of VVOLs is that there's, they help overcome some of the scalability issues that customers have had with VMFS, as VVOLs themselves don't count against some of the scalability limits that ESXi implements. Thanks, Tom. Even though VVOLs were first released, and that was actually, I believe, vSphere 6.0, but maybe it was a point release, there's been a, very, a relatively slow adoption of VVOLs in vSphere deployments. Why do you think this is the case? Ian, um, I, I would agree that adoption's been a little bit lower than what we all anticipated, but we are very bullish about that moving forward. We, we've done a lot of work with VMware in this space, and we expect to see adoption increase uh, over time. But adoption has been somewhat limited so far for a couple of factors. One, in terms of PowerMax itself, I can't speak for other platforms, but for PowerMax, not having support for Site Recovery Manager, which is also known as SRM, was really a big inhibitor of customer adoption. Pretty much all VMAX customers that use SRDF to protect their most critical applications leverage the SRM capability when they're running it in a VMware environment. It really gives them a lot of benefit in terms of overcoming disasters and practicing DR. So the fact that VMware added SRM this year will really, in our view, help increase adoption pretty significantly over time. And I think another factor has been that marketing of VVOLs themselves has been a little bit inconsistent. It's a product that's pretty much aimed at making it easier for the VMware admin team to take advantage of storage array features. So it really requires coordination between the storage teams and the VMware teams. But the marketing of VVOLs has primarily been driven by all the different storage partners that VMware has for VVOLs. So adoption does require both teams to sort of coordinate on this. I think the marketing has gotten better over time, but it certainly was a contributing factor to the slow adoption that, that VVOLs had when they were first put out. And I think the other piece is that it takes time from when VMware puts a new feature out, like adding the support for array replication, and then when the various partners that they have can actually get them out the door. As the VVOL team adds more features, partners will work it into their existing roadmaps, get it certified and push it out, which does take time. I mean, we coordinate very closely with VMware team, but it does take time from when they have a feature ready to go and when we can release it and have it out in the market. Great, thanks for the background. Can you provide more information on the different types of VVOLs and why that actually matters? Sure, Ian. The thing that this group should know is that there's a 
multiple different types of VVOLs and that there's not a one-to-one -one relationship between the number of VMs that you have and the number of VVOLs that you have. So there are four types of VVOLs. There's a config VVOL, which is pretty much what it sounds like, stores all the VMware configuration data, metadata, et cetera. Every single VM that is running in VVOL has one of these. Um, then there's data VVOLs. This provides all the application data as well as the user data. Most VMs that we see in a PowerMax have more than one data VVOL. It's pretty common that we see three to 10 of these for every VM. There's a swap VVOL, which is needed, is a memory file that is needed if the VM's driver goes down for any reason. Again, each, one, each VM has at least one of these. So every VM has at least one config, one data, and one swap. So they all have at least three. Typically, they have more than that. And then finally, there's a memory VVOL, which are the snapshots and clones of VVOLs. So every time you have a snapshot, that also counts against the number of VVOLs. So really, the reason why this matters is because each VM has between three VVOLs, there's no snapshots being taken, and there's only one data VVOL, and somewhere in double digits. Again, on a PowerMax, we typically see that each VM has at least 10 VVOLs. So if you have a storage array with 1,000 VMs on it, and you want to move from VMFS to VVOLs, the array itself is going to have to support at least 10,000 VVOLs to represent those 1,000 VMs. So I think the takeaway is that there's not a one relationship, and you really want to make sure that the, that the number of devices that the array can handle will, will meet the number that you need in terms of supporting VVOLs. By the way, PowerMask can support up to 64,000 devices as well as 64,000 VVOLs on a single array. Hey, actually, that's great news about PowerMax scalability. And this thing, these issues with VVOLs is certainly something that customers will need to think about as they plan to move to VVOLs. Now, to run VVOLs, something called a VASA provider and a protocol endpoint are needed. Can you tell us what they are? Sure. So a VASA provider is a component that the underlying array engineering team builds. So on the PowerMax, we have a PowerMax VASA provider. Really what it is, is it's a translation layer between vSphere and then whatever the underlying array interface is. Now, so if a vSphere user asks the array, PowerMax in this case, to take a snapshot of a particular virtual machine, the VASA provider will take that request and then translate it into a SIM CLI, which is our, you know, our, our CLI running on the array, to take the snapshot. Each vendor ape uh, VASA provider is a little bit different, but they all basically work the same in that they, they translate commands from vSphere to the array, and they typically either run external to the array, generally into vApp, or some of them have been embedded on the array itself. We, we actually just, in a release that we put out in September, embedded our VASA provider on the box to simplify deployment and to provide built-in high availability. A protocol endpoint is something different. So a protocol endpoint, also known as a PE, is a data path element that is part of the storage fabric. This is really what IO flows through from the host to the storage. There's quite a few ways to support PEs. On a PowerMax, we have one PE for every physical ESX host. Other arrays in the industry have one for a cluster, for instance, or they might have one for the whole array. We actually recently added support for iSCSI for PEs. We supported Fiber Channel prior to that. Well, this is great. So that actually leads me to another question. What is the operational model for running VVOLs? Uh, Ian, VVOLs work a little bit differently than other applications that you'd run on a, on a storage array, you know, such as a PowerMax. Um, what happens with VVOLs is that the storage admin team provides the VMware admin with a, a fixed set of capacity and storage capabilities in something that's called a storage container. 
you know, for instance, a VVOL storage container can be put in an array and it will have a specific capacity, say 100 terabytes, will have specific service levels within that, within that container. And then you might include features such as snapshotting and remote replication. The VMware team gets the container given by the storage admin. They then access that through vSphere. Um, once that's done, the, the VMware admin can perform whatever actions that they've been provided for VVOLs within that container. So once, once the storage team turns it over to the VMware team, they have full access to whatever set of features and capacity have been given to them. If you get to the point where the container itself is full or it's very close to being full, it's very simple for a storage admin to add more capacity to it or, or to change the underlying features that are in the container. It's really one or two clicks to get it done. Um, so they're a little bit different than how most applications live in a PowerMax as the usage of VVOLs are, are driven by the VMware team within the storage containers that they have. The storage admin has knowledge of what's going on, but they don't really own the day-to-day -day operation of the VMs that live in a container. Excellent. You mentioned vSphere. Can you say a little bit more about how PowerMax is integrated with vSphere? Sure, Ian. So, so PowerMax, we've supported vSphere forever, and we've supported vVols themselves for about five years. There's a big long list of VMware features that we support on PowerMax. So in addition to vVols, there's a number of plugins and VMware APIs that we support. We support things like vRealize Operations, vAAI, Site Recovery Manager that I mentioned before through, through SRAs, which are these plugins. Um, there's all sorts of integration. So customers expect that when they deploy a PowerMax with vSphere that everything just works, and it does. They don't need to be experimenting, determine which components are interoperable, which versions they need, et cetera. The infrastructure has to work so they can just focus on delivering the items that enable them to provide the service to their customers. You know, this is this all works great and we've had it run for quite some time. Great, thanks Tom for your time and for the information you've provided. To learn more about PowerMax and VMware, visit delltechnologies.com forward slash PowerMax. And stay tuned for our next podcast on PowerMax and VMware, where I will engage with Tom again on some additional information. Thanks, Ian. It was, um, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. It was really fun. And, and thanks to the listeners. And please provide feedback to us as what you thought was well done and, and what you need to know more about. This podcast is part of the Power of Storage podcast series from Dell Technologies. You can check out the rest of the Power of Storage podcast series or our related data protection podcasts on Power to Protect. Both are available on your favorite podcast platform. We hope you found this informative and we would love to get feedback on this podcast and the series. Also, let us know if there's specific subjects you'd like to have us cover in future podcasts. And thank you for listening.